Welcome to Glass Onion Minute. I'm your host, Adil Kirchie, and for the final time this week, my guest is Rob O'Connor. Hello. And we are in Minute 50, so that's 4900 to 4959. Um, but we are starting, right, we ended the last minute with Benoit uh, having revealed the murder, the murderer, the motive, uh, and the method is now just going through, just talking more about the motive. And he had just mentioned that um, around Miles' neck, there's uh, this oblong thing. I can't remember the exact word. It doesn't matter. It's not a current minute. And he goes, so we start with neck. Uh, <laughs> Bit out of keeping with your breezy island style. And he gives a sort of, uh, then we get this um, really soft nod from Miles. Would you kindly open it for us? And then he opens it, it's a reveal, it's this pink jewel. Uh, Birdie goes. <laughs> she grabs a laughing peg. My red diamond. Uh, a smirk um, from Miles. And then uh, uh, Benoit goes. A dramatic, uh, passionate, and colorful crime for a fashionista, Miss Birdie. Uh, Unfortunately, this crime clashed. Um, with the presence of Benoit. And then we get cut to a shot of the crossbow, and this very anemic shot fires and thunks into um, Miles' chest. And blood, three spurts of blood spray and hit uh, glass. Uh, and then um, Benoit excitedly says, Very good, very good. Um, and then, um, we basically cut to, uh, uh, the top of the stairs, uh, up, up, uh, from the, uh, and it's Miles having already gone up the stairs and Benoit following, um, and, um, Miles is just tugging the bolt, the dummy bolt off of his shirt. My God, that just felt so good, so, so solid, so... So satisfying, you know, you know, like one of those mini crosswords the Times has. Or, you know, I have a chef friend, and she she speaks of trying to create the perfect vibe. And that, that, that just felt... End of minute. A uh, lot of fun. Um, Daniel Craig and Edward Norton are just spectacular. I, I thought there was a nice bit of kind of acting continuity insofar as... In the previous minute, I felt like I, I think I referred to Miles almost looking like he was being eaten from within. He was so utterly disgusted by this. Whereas we get to this minute and it's almost like he's sort of resigned himself to the fact that that the game is ruined and that this final piece of the puzzle is about to be revealed. He sort of expects it to come. Um, so it, th th there's just a nice kind of through line there in terms of performance. Um and and then there's some there's some lovely shots of of the actors' reactions, and then I really really want to talk quite a lot about this uh, the crossbow gimmick of the arrow hitting him and and the way they accomplished oh, that and it is really great. I tried not to go into too many details because I figured we'd we'd dig into yeah. it. <laughs> and there's just maybe maybe a little goof there that I want to talk about. But uh, oh, interesting. We can get to that. But yeah, no, great minute, great minute to finish off the week, and and it's nice that we get to move uh, move locations as well. We move to the uh, the upper office, and I believe well, we'll get into this. I, th I think it's the first time we see it at night. I might be wrong. Um, I think you might be right, yeah, because we've seen it with the car in the very beginning tour sort of thing mm. with Benoit when they have their conversation about the invitations, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, also, as it's the last uh, day of the week, uh, w when we get to a certain point in this episode, we will flag uh, Spoiler Friday and have our spoiler uh, non-free, our spoiler-rich end of end of episode discussion. Ooh! Um, but don't worry, those of you who are watching along um, very slowly, uh, um, we will flag that very clearly, and we'll um, um, we will do that after our plugs, etc., so that you. Blah. The, the thing people do when you've been listening for 50 minutes, so you've done this about 10 times. Um, I can do the math. Um, yeah, so I, I just, what I really like is just the, the, the flavor of this minute is Smug Benoit. Yes. On a, on a, on a, on a high, medium, medium high, like, saute simmer. Like, he's just, he can't help it. He's just so in, in the moment, in the vibe that he was talking about near the end. And he just, like hands in his pocket and like 
Yeah, I just like how from the beginning he he's just like so kind. Oh, like smarmy. He's he's bordering on smarmy, you know. But he likely luckily we've seen the character for the rest of the film, so it's not like grating. But if you just walked into the room and saw that, you'd be like, this guy, right? Because he's just so in the moment and pleased with himself. <laughs> and yet, um, and yet he's not quite getting that everyone else is a little bit kind of unsettled by by his behavior. Yeah, but like even the thing he starts the, the episode, uh, the, the minute with, right? Like out that like out of keeping with your uh, breezy island style, he's talking about the pendant, and he's just like he says that with like it feels like why it's so smart. He's like, this is such an obvious clue. Why doesn't it match your aesthetic? Um, and then and then he sort of softly sort of says like kindly open for us. He's like because he's like yeah, we all know mm-hmm. what's going to be in there. Uh, and then we have this really great shot of, um, so when he's saying this, he's got Duke by his side. Duke is having a good time too. He's kind of smiling, but he's just kindly open for us. It cuts to a, a shot. At, um, so it's like where Benoit's standing, then from our perspective to his right is Duke, to his right is Whiskey. But now we cut to the other side of Whiskey, but almost at a slight Dutch angle. Like it's a really odd angle. We're seeing a lot of whiskey's yes. uh, side, and we still see uh, Duke, and they both do this very like, um, in concert turn from listening to Benoit to wait, what's on the neck? And it's just it's so wonderfully cheesy. Yeah, and it, it's shot from the table up, isn't it? It's it's very yeah. Funny. That's what that's what I meant. Like not quite a Dutch angle, but like a really odd um, like placement for the camera. It's it's like it's on a lazy Susan. Yeah kind of right it's just like kind of sitting there uh and like whiskey turns and and she's still her her face is like still kind of confused doesn't know mm. what to expect but still enthralled by benoit and looking quizzically at miles and i think that's such a good um again we've talked all all week long about like how these reaction shots are just so good with the characters yes um and uh and like just showing with very little sort of dialogue and even screen time the personality of these um yeah these moments where we're very little screen time almost no dialogue but we're still getting these expressions and the mm-hmm. and we and the choice of camera angle just allows those little movements of the actors to become bigger Absolutely. i think this is a great example of that uh, with someone we haven't really seen in in our sort of five minute chunk we've done Come. which is whiskey um sort of clearly playing with her hair because mm. we see it sort of extended from her neck but she's just like looking over and with this angle the like kind of confusion i don't know what to expect like kind of confusion like what miles what's going on kind of expression really really like plays well at that angle mm. um just because we're seeing up against her face so we're seeing sort of the half frown first almost like it, it's more prominent than if it was like a steady on shot interesting and and in fact it's it is somewhat similar to a shot I noticed in one of the previous minutes where the focus was on um apologies Batista and she was kind Duke. of she was cut Duke and she was nearly in the corner of the frame and she was kind of shaking her head. I didn't bring it up at the time but it was an interesting kind of when he was asking about um Miles being dead and if they'd still be allowed to talk and she was kind of grinning oh, right, at this. Yeah. And it's almost like they've pulled back from that exact shot um to to kind of see a bit more of her reaction um, oh yeah i get that yeah um and then and then and then of course like when miles responds when we cut to him and he's just like you're right this is he's resigned to it right so he like shakes his hands out like yep and i think that's the moment of him being like it's over yeah and he just stops being because like we talked last minute right yesterday about how he feel, felt very much like he was being wound up mm. And I think that moment of him, uh, like when Ed Norton just like throws his hands out in a bit flex before he reaches for the pendant to open it, mm. that's the like, yeah, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't hold on to this kind of feeling. On the topic of the pendant, right? Now, mm. I, I, I've kind of bit my tongue on this a few times. I debated whether to bring it up, but I do have a Superman podcast, and I can't help but make this comparison. Oh, excellent, Miles Braun. I I can't I, like obviously he drew from real life billionaires that 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 the fact is just simply an objective fact that there's a bit of Tim Cook in there quite a lot mm-hmm. of Elon in there Steve Jobs and all that kind of stuff 
I yes. can't help but think that Ryan Johnson took a little bit of inspiration from Lex Luthor as well. Mm. And the pendant, the inclusion of the pendant is significant to me because um, quite a lot of time in various versions of Superman, there's been a kryptonite pendant that has been an yeah. important plot device in the TV show Smallville. It came up quite a bit. And in the Superman comics in the 80s, uh, Lex Luthor had a kryptonite ring that he would yeah. wear and people re would remark that it was a strange thing to wear and that it clashed with his fashion sense. So, and and in my defense, in some of Ryan Johnson's other works, there are explicit Superman references in those as well. So I... Oh, really? Can you... This is not me like... Name three. I just well, am curious. I can name, name two. So in, I, I didn't... I just met... I wasn't trying to be like, I don't believe you. I just was like, now I'm curious what yeah, one yeah. is. So in Knives Out, uh, the, mm. the, the woman who plays the grandmother is a character actress named Kay Callan, who, you know, has had a storied career, but she is best known for playing Martha Kent in the uh, 1990s Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman TV show. Um, and uh, Oh! She plays the grandmother in Knives Out. She has a very tiny role, but it's her. And she pops up again in the new series Poker Face uh, in a much more substantial role. She kind of has uh, a special guest star role in one of the episodes. She's 87 and she's just excellent in it. Um, and in that same episode, they introduce a, an FBI agent named Luca Clark, which I, oh. uh, that might be a bit of a reach, but given that she's in the same episode, I feel like that is Ryan Johnson kind of thumbing his nose at, at Lois and Clark, which itself was a procedural kind of a detective-ish show uh, which he, you know, pays a lot of homage to to those kinds of things in Poker Face. So I feel like that that those are two very specific references. So I can't believe I didn't recognize Kay Callan in um, Knives Out. Yeah, and she doesn't huh. pop up in a lot of stuff. So I feel like if if he's such a fan that he's including her in two of these things, he he must be a fan of that series. You yeah. Know? Sounds about right. Um, um, so, so yeah. So, just the pendant in this and the inclusion of the Ren Diamond within the pendant, it, it, it all just, yeah, kind of conjures up a Lex Luthor kind of comparison. Yeah, especially because it's just loose there, which I think is more. Yeah. From what I remember, the comics of the time, right? It was he. It was loose, so he could take it out and like and brandish it, and not have yeah, to like exactly. hold the thing. Versus the ring, which he often like held out. And uh, I will say, I knew knew that before I even read a comic with the ring because I had the Superman action figure that came with the kryptonite ring in this god-awful green. Yes. And it, and it was magnets. And so Superman, the action figure, had a magnet in it. And so if, when you held the ring to his front, the magnets would repel and he would fall over. Love it. Love it. I never had that Old one, but I've seen toys. it. I'd love to get that one. <laughs> oh, man. I mean... I uh, I was a fidgety kid, and turns out action figures are made from very similar molds. And so I broke my Batman, and I broke my Superman, and swapped their legs and things oh. all the time. And I lost the <laughs> magnet, oh, no. so I could no longer use the ring. Well, if you want to go on eBay, www.ebay.com, I'm pretty sure you can find that figure, but it costs like seventy pounds now to buy. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm actually curious. Superman with kryptonite ring. Yeah, I believe that is a Toy Biz 1989 figure from uh, the Super Powers uh, collection, I, I I want to say. And, and it was a repaint of a Kenner figure from the... Uh, sorry, it's from the Toy Biz Super Heroes collection. And it's a repaint of the Kenner Super Powers figure from a couple of years earlier. Quite wow. a bit about Superman figures. I, I, I'm not... not surprised uh but still impressed oh wow uh so a vintage 1980s with with ring is 50 quid pre-owned and then there's a used one for 95 quid yep this yeah. is the one and the, what was cool about it was the cape was cloth and there was like yeah. a little clip on his neck so you could take it off yeah I'm oh man big fan of Anyways. those cloth capes i have to say hmm? they, they, they they don't do them as often nowadays oh yeah 100 wait so that used one's 95 but this in pa packet is 123 you're right it is uh um yeah we weird sorry this is just i, I i'm no longer it's toy biz yeah right in the bottom of the corner cool well, I'm impressed by your <laughs> action figure acumen, your action human. Nope, stop it, Dill. It's not a thing. Um, 
great. Um, so yeah, I really enjoy the also also the Lex Luthor vibe is kind of carried through by the just the the whole thing with the clear right. Yeah, the fact absolutely. That yeah, it's a it's like a it's a very fictional science fiction like techno technology just dream mm. sort of mcguffin technology right it's not grounded in 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 things that we have today um and uh, i don't know if you're a fan of kurt vonnegut um been known to dabble yeah so it the 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 idea of this like little crystal that like sh- could save the world but is really bad reminds me of ice nine a lot mm. in cat's cradle where if a sliver of ice nine touched the oceans everything would turn into all the uh, Water would turn into ice nine, and we'd lose the oceans because they'd be frozen. Um, just the just the idea of this like small little crystal, really really problematic. The way they displayed it, and then they're like, "This could be the worst." I just I, I it gave me those vibes. Um, anyway, yeah, just the, on the topic of Vonnegut, by the way, mm. a friend of mine actually compared Lex Luthor to the Vonnegut quote about the kind of person who wants to hate without limit, hate with God on their side, uh, because. Lex has a sadistic pleasure streak, but he 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 doesn't get off on bragging. You know that kind of way. Uh, just just a small side thing. Two other things. Actually, we'll we'll talk about those in, in the in the spoiler Friday chat because there's two other things that come up later on that I wanted to compare as well. Great, sounds good. Um, I do want to comment on um right after so we stayed sort of contiguous um right when we see the diamond we cut cut to um Ren. Sorry, Ren, Birdie, and she's like, oh, my diamond, and she grabs Peg's arm, and she's like, that's my Ren diamond, or whatever, but just Peg's expression, she is, She we cut, and she's already laughing at, she gets exactly what happened, everything's just gotten ruined, and again, we talked about this last minute about how, because she's an outsider and wasn't really invited to the murder mystery, like, her weekend hasn't been ruined by this, it's just clear that this you know, clear dick, right? Who is Miles mm. has just had his plan ruined, and and he's one of these wealthy people who she just kind of has to work with and around. And it's like the glee she has at what has obviously happened is so great. Yeah. And again, she's just slightly out of focus because we've got that shallow depth of field, and obviously, the shot is about Birdie being like, "Oh, it's my diamond," but really, it's also about Peg's reaction because yes. it's just so clear. She's like closer to the camera. She's t- she actually has, I think, almost more of the frame, just because yeah. she's kind of, uh, you know, at an angle, and you're getting more of her like. She's just a touch we're not, out of focus. We're getting Birdie yeah. straight on, and we're getting a bit more of an angle on her chest. Um, yeah, I just, and then when she, it's like she once she realizes everyone's looking at Birdie, she kind of just like bites her lip, and then we. Cut back to to Miles with his like pained expression, but I just I thought it was such a great again. It's the details of making sure you can get communicate so much in a very simple frame mm. that I really enjoyed about this stretch of the film. But in Ryan Johnson in, in general, right? It's it's this more so I think the Knives Out has these character moments that are just so bound in the ability of the actors. Yeah. Yeah. But I think as we talked about in the first week or first episode rather of our stretch, uh kind of at the expense of the cohesiveness of the overall piece. Yes. We get these really great character moments. We get this section, right? These five minutes where it's just these people acting so great with such little things. Like Catherine Hahn's like inward focusedness and then sort of standing up and pushing a chair back and then kind of being hooked by Benoit, all of that is like, at no point is she like a focal point. None of those moments. But we have this whole character arc and it just relies on the right like shots and the right foley and then just the actors doing their thing. Anyway, um, the the closing of the the locket as well is just such a nice Miles giving up like... He's like, yeah, I'll open it. And then when it, no, everyone's obviously not, no longer paying attention because Benoit's still talking, he's just yeah. like, click. And he kind of clicks his fingers as he's coming down as well. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's great. Or it, it, um, I don't know if he clicks his fingers or he just kind of punches in, in resignation. You know, like, no way. Right, he does that like a movement. Um, what I like is fo- that shot following it is one of the most dynamic shots of this whole chunk of time, right? We cut to... Sort of, it's almost like the camera just pivots from where it is mm. really close to to Miles. 
and we get a long sort of a wide shot uh, that sees the other side of the table. We've got a very out of focus and shadowy Claire, but we're getting whiskey, and you know, in the whole row down, and it looks like and Benoit's like Miss Birdie J, and he's got his arms out, looks like he's pointing at her, and we have this quick dynamic track yeah, to show cool. what he's pointing at. But then by the soon as it levels up with Benoit and like gets to over Peg's shoulder, the the angle has shifted, and now we're just looking at Benoit because he's he. And it, she doesn't even get her moment. He's too big. He's not even letting the camera catch up and acknowledge the things because yeah. he wants to move to the next step. It's such a great sort of bait and switch of he's talking about Birdie. We're going to see Birdie. Nope. And now he's just like, and the, it, the camera it's clashed, the, and he has this line of the crime clashed, right? Yeah. Pause with the presence of Benoit Blanc, and it's like, yep, you, the only person the camera could possibly linger on. Yeah is you because you are controlling all of the attention the camera even kind of sits reveal. down with him <laughs> like because he's in such control of everything like oh i didn't it, catch it, that it, you're right it's, yeah it's, 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 it's literally... like a lovely tracking move to the left and then he's standing up and then the camera sort of lowers down as he sits down it's really nice oh yeah it's one of my, my it's my favorite shot of this minute definitely just because it's it's so representative of what is going on mm. and i'm glad you i didn't catch that yeah, but also just yeah, I really like think it's this. Like, it just conveys this. Um, even if you wanted to look and see what her reaction is, you mm. won't have time because everyone is audience, cameraman, everyone is con- just fixated and and in under the thrall of Benoit in this moment. So just there's no time to look at Birdie because he's still talking, and really you wouldn't look away. No. Why would you look away? Benoit's still explaining. That's the feel it gets, and it's so great because when you think about how, like, um, Miles wants this type of attention, this enthrallingness, and if you think of the shots of when he's explaining the what's going on and explaining the murder mystery, these there are these static shots that are kind of a little above him, and it makes him he's leaning into them, and he just his face just looks a little more plasticky, and like the, the we had that like slightly Rembrandt-y, um, like, like half split, half in light, half kind of in shadow lighting, but he leans in and he ruins it. You know, that's the, like, the, 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 the shots we had of the guy who wants to have this, there's no way anyone can look away. Mm. And it's just so, like, static and, like, kind of planned, but then he's not quite doing it in the right spot. Like, as if he, he had himself had put that spotlight there for this moment. Yeah. But then... He's kind of clumsy, and so he leaned forward and ruined that, like, dramatic lighting. And then, meanwhile, Benoit's just, like, talking off the cuff of what he's done. And, like, the, everything's dynamic, and everyone's staring at him. And, like, even, like, Birdie grabbing Peg. Peg's too busy laughing at, at what Benoit is saying and just enjoying it. And so she's not even looking at her boss, who's being like, oh, that's my diamond. She kind of looks at, glances at Birdie and glances away. And then the camera's rushing to sit down with Benoit rather than to, like pay attention to anyone Mm. else i just love that juxtaposition of that dynamic um versus static and like because of where benoit is he's just always well lit and so you don't even have that he's moving around jumping around and he's never not well lit Mm. versus that like those that tension of we're at the table and i'm explaining things and you know uh with miles where it's like just feels so calculated but off yeah no absolutely yeah he's always kind of the hero of the situation um, I, I just noticed actually in the time you were talking about that um, the entire time Ben was talking Andy is is uh, to the left of frame mm-hmm. and uh, you know initially she kind of side eyes him nervously so if, if, if you look at kind of you know tw- from 21 seconds to about 25 seconds she's kind of like listening but side eyeing him nervously oh, I don't know what right. that, I, I couldn't possibly say what that suggests but then a second later, when the next thing happens, which we'll get to, it cuts back to her and she kind of has this really kind of courteous nod where she's nodding to Benoit. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe something we could talk about in Spoiler Friday, but um, just thought that was a nice touch as well. And it's something you only really notice when you're really kind of examining the scene. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't caught that either. But yeah, so so we've built up to basically second 30 so halfway through the minute and we're we're now like slightly above but staring at the um 
uh, in the alcove at the glass soldier holding the Jayhawk branded crossbow, which when you get this close, you're like, oh yeah, that's a crossbow, I guess. Um, And I love it because it's like, you get a nice shot of the crossbow and that it's shooting sort of off past you. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's like no notion of threat on that angle. You just get to see the thing. And, And why that's important is because you see... It, we just stay long enough for us like pause we're here and then a light kathunk and then like you just see how weak like there's almost no tension on the on the on the uh, mm. um on the bow it like just goes blunk and it shoots a bolt really lightly like oh this is a mild crossbow D- did it shoot a bolt because i uh, i keep rewatching it and to my understanding is it actually doesn't shoot a bolt at all. And okay, hold on. Well, so I am going to full screen this. Uh, you know, they we're professionals. We definitely did talk about this beforehand. No, there's a bolt there's, on the... There's, there's what looks like an arrowhead. And then it but just if you look, flicks down. Uh, there's a thing. If you look on the um, the like shaft of the bow, mm. there's a thing that, like, there's like a sha- an arrow... That is there and then not there. Are you sure it's not there? Because the the red line of what appears to be the arrow rem- seems to remain oh. as far as I can tell. Oh, you're right, actually. If you look... Oh, interesting. Basically, my understanding yeah. of what's, ha- what's happening here is there is no arrow shooting at all. The bow does fire and then it cuts to the next shot, which is Miles, and he has a pop-up arrow... Uh, gag arrow that's under oh you're his right it shirt. comes out of his shirt and it pops up from under his shirt and and it opens up the space for the you're right and actually you can see this if you so if you look at second 29 you can see that there is a thing that looks like a an arrow yeah along the the crossbow and actually what happens is um when it gets released a like leather or fabric something flops flops over and covers the arrow up and flops to the point where it kind of flops out of the front as well yeah so yeah you're right there's no yeah that's really interesting so basically the idea is that thing's rigged to just cover the arrow as if it's no longer there yeah exactly but actually if you stare at it you can see that the little the the fins the feather fins of the arrow are still underneath now Mm. something uh, and then you're right. I didn't catch that it pop- pops out of the shirt, and uh, which is so. F- it's it's God. it's funny and hilarious. Oh, this is so, th- I'm really happy you pointed this out because thinking about this guy walking around that, all yes, day, exactly all beach, day wearing that thing. It's like, come on, guys, just for the <laughs> just for this moment. And when you look at the expression on Ed Norton's face of just like chewing his own tongue and like, yep, that's what's happening. And it's like. And you gotta think. Yep, I've been. This has been annoying me all day for no reason. And we've spoken um, so much about his wardrobe and how chill he looks and everything. And meanwhile, he has this thing strapped this to him. Ridiculous contraption. But also, that means like his shirt buttons have to be like partially undone and the whole day is, too. I, I, I want to come back to that in a second. That's the goof. He must have undone the buttons, right? Well, the, the goof is he, he must have undone the buttons, but if you look at the shot at 32 seconds, yeah, uh, that's what I was just looking at to me. And I might be wrong, but to me, it does appear that there is a top button done and the lower buttons are all undone. And yeah. this would make the most sense because he would need that to be the case in order for the arrow to flick up. But yeah. in the very next shot, um, or well, not the very next shot, but in the next, when it cuts to the next uh, scene, we'll say, which is still within this minute. Uh, yeah. So at about 41 seconds, he's he's fidgeting with the arrow, trying to rip it off. And you see that oh. the bottom three buttons are, or the bottom two buttons are all done up. But the top one and the top one isn't. The top one isn't. And I'm like, well, the bottom ones would have to be undone in order for the arrow to even work at all. So yeah, that and that's what it looks like. Unless he did up those buttons, but why would he? Well, unless he, unless the idea is he just undid like the three middle buttons. Yeah, and then when he was going up the stairs, he started undoing the top ones so he could pull the thing out. Mm. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that's very much a 
like if we wanted to we could go back to other previous mi- minutes I and mean, i'm guessing some of these buttons were done up right yeah probably yeah but presumably if he was as he was introing things here he would have like undone those buttons in prep i was i'm sad i missed that because i was too enthralled by what happens immediately afterwards which is the pss, 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 yeah pss, <laughs> like tiny water gun spray of blood that comes out of him doesn't even mark his shirt up really it just kind of spurts out and but it hits this these wine glasses it's such a satisfying mm. shot at 32 seconds because you're just staring at um arrow pops out and then it, it just paints the outside of the of this wine glass and then ben was like oh Oh, that's good, or whatever. And but you got to think if that glass wasn't there, it's such an anemic, pardon the pun, uh, spurt of blood yeah. that it just like would kind of go. It would it would just like flop on the table, and you wouldn't even notice. Um, and it speaks to such a like attention to detail, yeah. And the, the fact that they would have to light the light, light the glasses in such a way that when the blood hits them, the blood is lit. You know, yeah. Like there's an awful lot of kind of thought and choreography that has to go into set yeah and all to convey that this is a the dumbest plan <laughs> like it, it can you imagine if benoit hadn't done that and he was like you know he's getting ready for his big like so you know mm. you gotta solve the murder who knows when it'll happen the game is afoot and then like three minutes later it's like punk splurt and like there was nothing there so it just kind of like hits his plate and gets on his like steamed broccoli or whatever the heck he eats every day <laughs> I just love how, like, terrible it is. It's comical in this, but if it it's it would have been so much funnier if the gag hadn't been ruined, because it's so bad. Um, I, I, yeah, I, just... I love the idea, though, as well, that he's he's probably wearing, like, I, I believe it is an Armani suit in real life, so it's, it's probably, like, custom-made and all that, and he just ruins yeah. it with fake blood. Just classic well, billionaire. So one thing I will say is if those spurts of blood, they all came out very quickly. Mm. Just but like they, they they did not dribble. But when we see him in the shot you were mentioning at like coming up the stairs, yeah. he pulls the contraption out and his white shirt is just covered. Half stained with, with fake blood and the shirt underneath is the got yeah. dribbles. So either this is like a goof or once we cut away from those first initial splurt spurts, Still that was the highest pressure, and then it just started dribbling down his front. Yeah, yeah. And which I like that way better than it's just they wanted to show it was the bloody shirt later. I like the idea that like what they're implying this anemic three spurts was actually the the big, the best it could have possibly gone, and it continued to just dribble and ruin his shirt. <laughs> Because when it didn't need to, because it wouldn't have been seen by anyone. It's just like that poorly planned. It's amazing. I just I just keep thinking about him walking around with that thing on the ice. Well, and then in in like the forty three ish seconds, you can see that it's like on a circular something. It's on some kind that of like a suction like him. a suction cup nearly, and then it I get the impression there's some kind of like wire attached to it underneath that had the spring mechanism in it. So yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's it's just yeah because he like lifts it and tugs something out and just like this is awful. Uh, and he, the other thing I really like about this part of the minute right is we get the anemic spray and then um, we cut to him at the top of the stairs pulling the walked up the entire stairwell like back straight with the thing and as soon as he hits the top of the stairs so no one can see he like tugs it out etc and then Benoit's right behind him and you think if you think what did we miss it's like oh he's kind of pissed and just stormed off upstairs to be like I think I ruined meanwhile Benoit's too oblivious to like consider that and so he just follows him because he still wants to talk to him all the way up into his like private office Mm. Like, I've just ruined your thing, you've stormed off, and I'm still like, oh, I'm talking to you. I just love how that, like, transition conveys so much. Like, why Why did he Why did he leave the party? He must be ticked. 
Um, why is Benoit following him? And and because of that transition so quick, Benoit hasn't stopped talking to us no. as the audience. So we get the it just conveys this impression that all the way up the stairs, Benoit's been talking to him about yeah. crap. He's just not letting him alone, and he's obviously leaving the room to pout and just want to be away from the situation. But the situation is really just Benoit who's following him. What was that it's... moment where you know uh, Miles stormed off, and Benoit mm. just sort of cheerily turned around and followed him? You know. You almost yeah. want to see that. Yeah, it's, it it's would a be great really cut, but you know, you, you you almost kind of wish you could see that just yeah. for the the comedy of it. Well, yeah, and, and like this is the first time you see the frustration because he's in his office, and so he's like tugs the thing out and just kind of throws it aside, and uh, and you see a bit of his face. Um, but even then, as soon as Benoit enters the the frame up the stairs, camera focuses and tracks him, and I just love this idea of even in his office because he's being hounded by um by benoit mm. um he doesn't get that respite the camera still cares about him yeah. uh benoit more than him absolutely yeah Ooh, I I think I lost that. yeah it follows him the whole time he's kind of just out of focus on, until the last shot or the second the penultimate shot yeah we see him we get you know benoit's babbling about the crossword and starts talking about the chef and then we get this gorgeous shot with uh, Benoit's heads cut off. We've got like lighting on on Miles, but it's not flattering, and he's kind of hunched over. And there's like, I think it's a model of the glass onion on a the table. There's just like this weird spot, but I really like that we have in neon blue glass, neon green onion mm. in the b- b- back left. You know, movies on the movie. Um, and and he's just like half looking at. Benoit, who's in his own little world talking about vibes and stuff and moving his hands. And he's just like, yeah, uh-huh. And he's like resigned himself to, this is my life right now. It's being talked at by this guy. I'm not even having a conversation with this guy. I'm just being talked at. And it's like so great given the like character we've seen Miles being right through through this 50 minutes of this this, this movie. Like it's just like, nope, I've been overrun and, I, and I'm just deflated and I've accepted it in a way that like, if he was the guy he presents himself as being, even if his thunder was stolen, he wouldn't care, mm. right? But he's just deflated and run off to pout and now he's just like, yep, tell me about vibes, I guess. Shrug. Like that, and like minute or second um, um, 57, he sort of does this nod and shrug and it's like he's embodying the shrug emoji, right? Like the shrug emoji. He's just like, yeah okay um yeah i thought it i think it's really great um and then meanwhile we've got we cut to this dramatically lit um benoit who turns into giving himself sort of dynamic sort of half shadowed lighting and is gesturing big with his hands and like that that just felt and he's shaking his hands and you're just like yep benoit is in the middle of an actual rush and he's so pumped for it well now that's what it seems to be conveying yeah is this the most uh blatant example we've been given at this point in the film that something is up with how benoit is acting because we did see him much earlier playing among us and being totally unfulfilled by this kind of staged version of detective work and now he's acting like this really tacky yeah. <laughs> part dinner party thing is really stimulating and amazing. And it's this amazing vibe. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually, uh, one of my previous weeks was that bath scene. Yeah. And and so his like comments about, um, you know, this is just a game. These things never yeah. do the thing. I need to be out in the world kind of expression. And yeah, so clearly we, we've been primed for no yeah also i think the way he was like bumbling earlier in this scene and about the ipad and stuff it's like the benoit even the like the spawned bathing benoit wouldn't be so like i don't know do, do we win anything an ipad and then like oh i feel weird about time with ipads like we've been well primed with mm. those smaller bits but at this point you're like they're when he's like so over the top talking about um uh it was so good, so solid, so satisfying. You know, like those mini crosswords that time has? <laughs> I think that's the clear, like, yeah. wait, the mini ones? Yeah. Right? But also, that's the, like, Does it's a Sudoku? game. <laughs> yeah. I guess? I don't know. Um, But, like, that's the, that's 
the doubling down on the thing we learned about him yeah. from the Among Us scene, right? Which is games don't matter. No. And so when he says this is so satisfying as a game, it it's just I think it I think you're right. It makes it entirely clear that this is this is he's he's putting on a front for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um did you have any other thoughts specifically about the Minute. Um, um, no, it was mainly just the, the 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 dummy crossbow. I just kept coming back to that, and uh, the blood splatter that he ruined the outfit. Uh, no, I think I'm all I'm all noted out for that one. Oh, uh, maybe just um, I really liked the shot of Andy at ten seconds, right as Miles is opening the locket. We get this really mm. involved close up of her as she kind of considers what he's doing. Um, it's just really kind yeah. of intriguing. Yeah, it definitely reminds you, especially because our minutes, we, we've barely seen Andy. Mm, yeah. So it reminds you that she's there and something different is going on given all everyone's reactions previously. I will say that moment at 10-ish seconds to 13, we get this lovely, um, while we're talking about the pendant and it's being opened and then revealed, we get this lovely score of the strings sort of coming mm. in as if there was tension, as if this was like, Again, the tropey strings come in in the tense moment in the mystery, but this is the reveal of the end, like this, the reveal of the motive of the fake mystery. And so over top of those strings, we get these like, dun, 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 like it did that same, a little more tense, but the same sort of yeah. bouncy vibe we had in the previous minute. On the Ren Diamond, actually, I meant to bring this up. So um, th- there is such a thing as a Ren Diamond. It is a type of diamond. I-, I don't think that's the implication here, though. I think that this is just a diamond that was named the Ren Diamond because she's Birdie J, and a Ren is another type of a bird, I think. That's what I was doing. But is the implication that this is a diamond that Birdie hasn't had in a long time and that Miles bought it or... She had to sell it when she was in trouble or something like that. And now he's revealing yeah. that he's had it the whole time. Or, or is it just something that he kind of subtly took away from her over the course of this trip to set up this big mystery? I assume she doesn't always have it on her um, because the whole it's a blood diamond and a family heirloom mm. was the things in the previous minutes. And she seemed... She seemed really relieved to see it again. She said, my red diamond yeah. was an exasperated thing. So I think it's supposed to be that it's maybe in the controversy left her hands yes yeah and then he's like reacquired it and i think that again speaks to like the sketchiness of the man if it was a blood diamond family heirloom that was a blood diamond and then she lost track of it why would that happen maybe it was returned she's like just a public relations nightmare right so you just my interpretation is like yeah so she got in trouble for it and then did the pr thing of sending it back to the country or Mm. whatever it came from or like gifting it to a museum or something and then because he's so bloody wealthy, he's reacquired it. Yeah. And he gets and to be he's the do- hero. And so he's, he's like taken him. back the return of a blood diamond just for his dumb game. Like that seems, it's distasteful, yeah. but that seems to be a pretty, I don't, I don't, that's the cleanest story I can come up with given her reaction and what we know about it. And it's not that uh let's uh wrap up here before we go into spoiler friday so this has been great uh thanks rob uh, do you want to give us your last uh throw to plugs yeah so uh i have a superman podcast all-star super fan and you can find us uh, anywhere you get podcasts and we're on facebook twitter and instagram uh all-star super fan on facebook and instagram and all-star super pod on twitter and i also very occasionally do episodes of dick tracy minute with uh my good friend parker we are on a bit of an indefinite hiatus but we are hoping to get back onto that and i think we have about eight or nine episodes up at the moment and uh that th- th- they're a great listen so you can check those out as well great uh and you can reach us here at glass onion min all one word please rate review uh and uh subscribe on your podcatcher of choice um Next time you're at a friend's house or and their phone's unlocked, just, you know. Shoot them with an arrow. Oh, I was going to say just, like, sub them to the podcast <laughs> on the sly. Uh, but, yeah, do that, too. I don't mean Arrow that. to the knee. Um, uh, I uh, am at the Omniarch. If you want to watch, follow me on the socials. That's T-H-E-O-M-N-I-A-R-C-H. Uh, but you can mostly find me on the internet uh, at Tanked Up Cast. Um, that is the Tanked Up 
Craftcast is a podcast all about craft beer and video games. Uh, other than that, uh, yep, that's it, actually. That's my stuff that I want to talk about. So this has been great. We're going to say goodbye now to those who don't want to hear spoilers. Bye. Farewell. And now we're going to start talking about Spoiler Friday. Ooh. We talk a little bit more about the rest of the movie. So if you don't want to hear it, hit, pa- hit pause now. And when you finish the movie, come back. Who knows what we'll say? Uh, we definitely don't yet. Okay. So now we're in the spoiler town. I'm just going to actually put my leg up on the chair, getting a little comfy. Ooh. Um, what do you, what do you, what, you had a specific thing you wanted to, to talk about. Oh. Uh, let's start there yeah uh just when i was talking about the lex Luthor comparisons one other one that i noticed while i was watching the film the first time was that there is a lot of attention played to uh miles's different hairstyles in the film so Mm. when we see the flashbacks he has like radically different hairstyles each time like he, he has this kind of strange kind of tom cruise looking mullet in one scene there's another scene where he looks very much like steve jobs kind of hair um and then you know obviously in these minutes we've been watching and throughout most of the film he has that just sort of generic kind of hair hair transplant looking rich person hair and Mm. that that to me it it might be absolutely nothing but it did kind of make me remember the old superman movies where gene hackman's hair is different in every scene because it's implied that he's wearing wigs in every scene uh, That's right. Because they didn't want to, he didn't want to shave his head, so the, they got around it by putting different types of wigs on him. So uh, I just, it, it just again, it felt like is that a, is that a Lex Luthor not? You know, now obviously real billionaires probably do that as well, but it was just another thing that sort of stood out to me as as a possible kind of illusion. You know. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I, I'm 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 game for this Lex Luthor thing. I think the more the more I've sat with it, the more it's made sense to me. And and if by um, the way, if I was making a Superman movie, this is how I would do Lex Luthor. Just as someone who thinks he's an absolute genius, but is actually just a, a manipulator and is not nearly as intelligent as they think they are. I think it's a great way to characterize, you know, a billionaire. You know, in this day and age. Yeah, great. Uh, so. With us untethered, um, what do you think of the big reveal and the the actual murders and crimes and the like? We don't obviously we're not going to go over the whole thing, but just your general impressions, I'd be curious about. Just because we both seem to be on the same page about this being maybe more interesting in some acting parts, but mm. kind of less interesting in the crimey part. Uh, I did like the twist regarding Andy and her sister Helen. Uh, I thought that was an interesting switch and I thought it was convincing enough and they they were able to cite examples where she nearly slipped up in a way that felt that you know so I wasn't kind of thinking to myself oh well that would never work that's ridiculous they were able to give examples where the gig the jig was nearly up and and I I liked that about it um keeping in mind I haven't seen the ending of the film since I watched it in the cinema but I did find the final showdown where everyone's thrown clear and the Mona Lisa gets destroyed and the the harbor the coast guard or whatever are arriving and the the implication is that Miles is finished and that everyone's going to testify against him uh mm-hmm. I, I I found myself leaving the cinema going I don't buy that this would actually lead to this man's incarceration because there's too much and maybe that was maybe that's part of what part of it part of it maybe that's what he was trying to imply was that it's more of an open-ended ending open to interpretation or whatever but it did feel like they were sort of saying oh no he's finished now there's there's no hope for this guy when we all know that that wouldn't be the case for a billionaire you know sadly um and yeah just just the whole ending to me it felt more about you know kind of opera opera kind of female empowerment and big sort of pantomime sort of showiness it, it didn't really feel like a satisfying conclusion to a murder mystery as such but uh it was a lot it was a lot of fun uh and there, there were some beautiful uh, you know the sort of slow-mo shots in the big fiery mansion at the end you know some of that was was very thrilling but uh yeah, I, I just, I remember the ending of Knives Out being a lot more satisfying. Yeah, I think my, to go echo what you're saying, I think my big um, issue was kind of, um, 
Well, one, like that, a lot of CGI fire was not great. No, it wasn't. Um, it, and that really robbed it of, of the power of what's going on. Mm. Um, the, like, the beginning of the sort of temper tantrum smash em up bit was interesting. And, like, when other people joined in, I thought was a bit kind of cliche versus mocking cliche. Yeah. Um, and, and then it just kind of fizzled, even though everything was burning and blowing up. Part of it, I think, is that the the effects just weren't up to snuff. But the other part was like, am I supposed to care that much? Um, I don't know. I just I found it really un, unsatisfying just in the like. Also, Ben was like sort of sends throws her the thing to blow the thing up when we all we know is it's real dangerous. Yeah. And it's like, that seemed really like, sorry, he palms it to her or whatever. But like, that just seems like really uncharacteristic as well. Like, what if it reacted worse than you think, Mr. Non-Scientist, who just knows that, like, I just thought it was such a rushed, strange ending Mm. uh, that didn't feel tight. It just, it felt loose. Uh, And and, and like the, the like, weirdly crappy fire CGI kind of just put a hat on that like looseness and it just it, it, that's what left me kind of dissatisfied because it was just like wait so benoit's plan was to wander off and then give her a thing where she might kill herself or yeah. hopefully escape and just burn the place down question mark like what what was the how, how is this a good plan yeah it, yeah no i, I yeah it, it just all felt a bit kind of like, it felt like it was all built around that big scene where, where she gets to stand up like a phoenix rising out of the flame. And it was like that was his 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 idea for the, the big final showdown. And it didn't really matter how he got there, you know? Yeah. Um, But it didn't put me off wanting to see more of these. And what what I would say, I, I've mentioned Poker Face quite a lot. I, I don't think there's anything like that in any of those episodes, even the season finale which is similarly kind of big in scale and stuff like that. I, I don't think there's anything where you're kind of going, well, this is just, this is nothing to do with detective work anymore. It's just a big showy sort of nearly like a superhero movie showdown, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm mean, like, to, to, to be clear, like, I don't mind that type of big showy moment. I just felt like yeah. it wasn't billed as that type of movie. No. And even the, the things that Bill was, was building up to it also didn't seem to indicate it. And it wasn't like a satisfying bait and switch of like, oh no, it's actually this type of story. I don't know. For me, uh, it just didn't quite land. And so it just felt a yeah. bit hollow. I also think as well, as soon as you introduce a literal rogue element into your film, you need to come up with defined rules for how it works or else people are going to be confused or th- th- things are going to feel loose. Like to your point about the clear, her handing him handing it to her, not knowing what it was definitely going to do you know you you are kind of sitting there wondering well how did she know it was going to have that exact explosive impact and not like a nuclear you know um and that that's i i i don't i typically i'm happy to kind of go along with uh you know science magic and films like that but i i do need rules i think sometimes yeah and i think for me it was the it was the fact that like it was experimental and like it's stable now mm. right the house hasn't blown up but people seem really afraid that it could at yeah. any moment, right? That was the Lionel Claire exchange. That was like the, that's how it was introduced. And so, and they're all just chilling outside the house at the end. You're kind of like, yeah, but, but even so, so then giving her the thing where she's like, smack, and, and like encouraging her to just like make something blow up just seems so weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that was the part that really drew me out was just the, like, this seems really irresponsible, Mm. um, and like unclear what would happen. And like, I I don't, I don't know, like if she ended up not going on a big tirade, that wouldn't have helped. Like the only way that makes sense is if she like drew all the attention and then what escaped from whatever she was about to cause is that and that and if that was the plan surely you could have come up with a better way of bugging you both out the building yeah and again to my point about you know the implication is that miles is going to get captured what if he doesn't like they're all gonna die he's probably gonna have them killed now you know just think that there needed to be something a bit more cut and dried maybe miles needed to die you know or something yeah i wonder if there were drafts i probably not that big but like 
I am curious because again it felt a bit rushed and hollow and I'm just wondering if or I'm just missing some meta commentary yeah. on something yeah. but it just it just doesn't didn't quite get there how do you feel actually just um because obviously Ryan Johnson has made some other divisive films uh you know there's that one but there's also like Looper I felt like wasn't completely uh everything didn't it, my memories of it now it's a good few years since i've seen it but i remember feeling at the end of it like well that didn't really entirely line up the way i would have liked you know even though it's an interesting premise to start with it did feel a bit unfinished by the end did you find that with that movie i think so yeah but i i, I also like i'm pretty notorious for being too judgy about time travel yeah films yeah uh part of that is just um to be honest like i've i've worked with a, a good friend of mine uh does philosophy of time and has talked my ear off on it uh and um and i've worked on some stuff that way and i like i'm a i'm a logician i've formerly modeled temporal stuff and it's like i know how like my brain works very structurally so like when there are these like loops that aren't loops mm. it's like uh, yeah uh and i get it if it's a piece of like it's when it's when obviously not everything has to be tight structurally, right? That's the, we're in a creative, we're talking about a creative, um, entertainment art, not a science philosophical paper, yeah. right? But um, but when it when it presents itself itself serious and gives itself a certain amount of um, um, what I'm trying to say, a certain amount of like internal logic that it seems to seems to like be telling us rules yes and then it does i want that to work then right and so like the the terminator loop right in the first one Mm. is is a comes across as a sealed loop yeah so it works um if you really want to see i think my the my favorite representation of time oh now i'm gonna get this wrong what's the shane caruth movie called again uh primer Primer is my favorite uh, time travel movie. I think it 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 is really well done. It's an indie film. I think it took fifteen grand to make, uh, but it's really great and it's paced so achingly slowly for the first two thirds, and then everything ramps. Okay. Such that you kind of have to watch it twice in forty eight hours to even be like, what? But I'm pretty sure it's very tight. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I've thought and written down like sketched out how this should work in the ways that you can and like yep this works and it's complicated and that's great uh it's also a fun movie to watch um Hmm. but yeah most of the time i don't care right like if it's a MacGuffin, it's a MacGuffin. if it's a magic thing like like for example back to the future is one of my favorite movies yeah um to the point where i have multiple back to the future lego and playmobile sets were there um but uh it doesn't work the whole picture thing is insane the fading from the picture thing. It, oh like, yeah, because why would why would certain why would the fade, fade the be slow? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have the sense of like time is being slowly unraveled at the pace of the movie. <laughs> time is elastic, Marty. I don't, I don't know, but I, yeah. you know, it's it's something. But like yeah, that. which is fine because it's not trying to make that point, and the things it is trying to make are reasonably following the rules and play. Yeah. Time is 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 changeable. That's what they're trying to say. And ultimately, at the end of that movie, spoiler alert for Back to the Future One, he's basically he's in the ideal version of his world, right? Where he has most of the same life question mark, but like now he has the truck he always wanted, and his dad doesn't have a shitty job. Yeah. And Biff is cleaning his dad's car and uh, his car, giant truck, right? But also his dad's a uh a best-selling author and he is because of what happened to him in the past from his son even though we didn't know all this stuff fun neat doesn't matter right all good uh it doesn't hold up in certain ways if you try to draw it out that's fine but also it doesn't try to explain things so like that's one of the things about like uh christopher nolan's sci-fi films Mm. they they the self-seriousness gets to me when it's like that doesn't work um or like inception and tenant i think have problems but they're fine to watch once okay i really liked inception uh i I don't recall any major issues i had with it but i felt like there was enough left open to interpretation that yeah nothing that could have been an internal logic issue was for me but i could definitely see 
issues with um interstellar was it? i never saw tenet and uh oh yeah neither did anyone. yeah maybe right on inception probably grouping them all together too much but my point is like when you're so self-serious and you draw the the, the model of time or the universe mm. that you're very clearly and you're trying to make this grand point and it doesn't work it's that's more than jarring yeah, right no, that's I, like yeah, agree with that. but anyway, you're right this isn't a um nolan podcast it's a ryan johnson podcast um <laughs> Suffice to say, I did really like the Last Jedi. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was the tangent we got to. I really liked it a lot too. Good. Um, I thought it played a lot. So if, when I first saw it, I was like, "Ooh, this is doing some weird things." Mm. Um, and it grew on me pretty quickly after that. Like, great example of being too wrapped up in technology. The whole like hyperspace yes. missile thing yeah. bothered me right away because like, well, we have droids. And unmanned things. Why wouldn't this be a regular, regular uh, weapon? Yeah, absolutely. That's been around for ages. It's a weird kind of crappy point, I think. But it doesn't... It's just a small point in a big film that does so many things great. It doesn't matter. And it's not like the... It's not like the movie was building upon this notion of hyperspace such that we have to take no. it seriously. It just is aggravating the, when the you've whole world been immersed Star in Star Wars is, is for so, so long. so much more of a fantasy world anyway that you shouldn't... It's not like Star Trek, which demands that you take the science that bit more seriously, which obviously yeah. opens itself up to problems. But Star Wars is is akin to like Lord of the Rings, where it's all dragons and non like literal nonsense. Like you don't need to think about that stuff as much. Um but yeah, no and there's that, like that that was something that was pointed out to me after I saw the film and I was kinda like, oh right, uh I don't care. <laughs> yeah, for me it was like a I mean Logic Brain and Big Star Wars fan just made the connection. It was like this is weird. But also it's like it was supposed to be a gamble. So maybe mm. the reason people don't do it is because where it leaves, it explodes yeah. and kills you or something like that, yeah, right? Exactly. And, that they and did, it just happened to credit, work. Like, Rise of Skywalker was terrible, but they did have a line in that where they said something about, oh, well, we can't use the hold-on maneuver in this case for some reason. Oh, I, I have wiped so much of that yeah, movie out from my brain. I did. I don't think I noticed that they said something about the hold-on maneuver. Yeah. That's funny. Um... Back to yes, uh, Glass Onion. Um, do you have any like so? Yeah, so the I liked the twin reveal. I thought it was a neat mm -hmm. trope. Yeah, and and like an not an inversion of the trope, but like a really sideways. Oh look, we troped you, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, and the like the recontextualizing of the few times we we saw Andy, nay Helen, right? Um were so good like it explains why we saw her in this rundown like basement yes and she takes a bat to the to the box instead of solving it because you're like why would and it helps generate so much mystery because it's like why would he miles send someone who wouldn't try and solve it and it's like ah because he didn't send it to that person right um now Explain that to me because it did confuse me when I so my understanding is he sent it to her to avoid suspicion because if he hadn't sent her an invitation, people would be asking why he knew that she was dead. Uh, I think that makes sense. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, right. Because of course, by the time it arrives. The news hasn't broken. No, I thought, mm, yeah, I guess it arrives either day of murder or day after murder. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah I think the idea is either he sent it and then murder happens, uh, but she never bothered opening it, which seems kind of not really what she would do. Mm. Um, so, yeah, because the whole point. Turn off, oh, man, I haven't watched the later minutes in a while. Yeah, I think the point is that it's covering tracks or whatever. Um but even if it wasn't, like, yeah, no, because the whole thing's kicked off by her message saying she has the, the, the goods. Yes. And uh, we're led to believe that this is before he makes the party plan. And so he, yeah, so I think, I think the idea, you're right, the idea is that um, not to arouse suspicion, but instead... Um, Andy finds it and is like, what the heck? I'm not going to solve these puzzles. I don't even know what's going on. And she's also like clearly going through stuff because 
she lost her sister, mm. so she just takes a bat. It also explains like the fury she takes to the box. Yeah. Which, you know, in minute twelve or thirteen, it were just like, What is going on? Something's like this is an anger ruin, what's it about? And like it's a nice, really good tie in because it's the it's the those first ten, fifteen minutes, it's the first bit of hint of what's going on. And then all we just don't get the closure of that hint until much, much later. Um but we still get a no but we have a different notion of oh she's here and like something about the business and you're like okay so you you think it's a i'm pissed at you mile break miles i'm i'm not going to solve your puzzle yeah. breaking of the thing and it's way way more intense right it's a, i've lost my sister and i don't know i think you're involved but also i'm just in grief smashing yeah. of a thing right yeah, really excellent. Um, I think we should probably stop our spoilering because uh, Darren's going to be happy, I'm sure. Um, this has been great. Uh, lovely meeting and chatting with you this week, Rob. Uh, I will say goodbye for those who've tuned in on the sto- spoilers uh, once again, but I uh, hope to talk to you soon in some sort of podcast or other. Uh, so again, thanks for sticking with us on the spoiler part. I've been Adil. I've been Rob. Bye.